From Miami Law, I'm Aned Uges, and this is The Explainer. pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Uh It could very well be that this bankruptcy game is working for a lot of people, but it went too far, Mm -hmm. got too big, and then got Congress's attention. And if we're not careful, we, the bankruptcy system, aren't careful, Congress is going to come in and and mess with our system. Welcome to Season 9 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The bankruptcy world roiled last week when a federal judge ruled a multi-district litigation case could continue despite the bankruptcy of several of the parent company's subsidiaries. Vice Dean for Academic Affairs and Judge A.J. Crystal Professor of Bankruptcy Law Andrew Dawson shows us some steps. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Drew. Thanks so much for coming in. That's a pleasure. So let's start with the 230,000 cases of veterans harmed by the 3M earplugs. Can you remind us what that case is all about? Yeah, sure. So there was a company that was acquired by 3M that manufactured like safety products, including earplugs, safety goggles, et cetera. And they supplied earplugs to our service members. Not for them to listen to music. No, no, right. Yeah, protect the ears when they're firing, you know, firearms, et cetera, being exposed to loud noises. Right. Turns out apparently these were defective and a lot of folks, hundreds of thousands of folks have filed claims against 3M and its subsidiary, Arrow, claiming these were defective and trying to uh, obtain judgments. Mm -hmm. We've got thousands of of cases going in the state courts, a lot of these in Minnesota. I mean, I realize 3M is like the, you know, Minnesota mining and manufacturing. So they're up in Minnesota. So thousands of state court cases. But then here in Florida, we have the largest ever multi-district litigation, the federal cases sort of been administratively um, administered centrally here in Florida, over 230,000 cases involved just in, in that, just in that. Mm-hmm. So last week's ruling, let's talk about that. Does that, does that throw a wrench in, in 3M's defense? And did the judge really tell 3M if they had a complaint, they should complain to Congress? So, yeah, so let's take a look at this. So we had all these cases being filed and the early verdicts were not good for 3M. Like they were getting hit with judgments ranging from a million dollars to almost a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. for individual claims. And they've got hundreds of thousands of these pending. So kind of fearing that these early cases were like the tip of the iceberg, 3M kind of tried to do a maneuver that we've seen some other companies do to kind of dodge the iceberg. They said, look, we're not exactly the bad guys here. It was our, we have a subsidiary that we purchased, you know, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. They made the earplugs. Let's put them into bankruptcy. Then we'll try to get the judge to agree that anyone who has an earplug issue has to go to the bankruptcy case. And to kind of sweeten the deal, 3M said, look, we'll put in like a pot of money, like a billion dollars mm-hmm. as like a trust sort of that, you know, a victim's fund right. that you could recover from. And send everyone there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen other companies do similar things, but this time we saw bankruptcy court do something they hadn't done in those other cases, which will say, now, wait a minute. Like, who filed bankruptcy? It was like Arrow, the mm-hmm. subsidiary. All right, any lawsuits against them have got to come to us in the bankruptcy court. But if 3M wants protection from all these other people, they either defend themselves in court or they could file bankruptcy protection. 
but you can't get like vicarious bankruptcy relief through your subsidiary. Right. And that was like kind of a, it seems really obvious. Like when you say that, I hear myself saying it out loud. Uh-huh. It sounds really obvious. If you don't file for bankruptcy, you don't get the protection of bankruptcy. Right. Except for the fact we'd seen other companies do this mm-hmm. and have it work. Here we had a bankruptcy court said, ah, this doesn't really make sense to me. You guys, if you want something like that, and really the argument is the tort liabilities were, you know, you know, the tort system, it's out of control. Ver- you know, juries will give all sorts of things. And like bankruptcy is much more reasonable. Mm-hmm. And there's real policy arguments that maybe bankruptcy courts could be better. Mm-hmm. But that's where the judge says, we're not policymakers. Congress could make that policy decision, but I'm a bankruptcy judge. You know, I'm hired to, you know, preside and decide over bankruptcy. And I'm going to do the bankruptcy case before me, mm-hmm. the arrow. 3M, you're on your own. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, so I like dancing as much as the next guy. Why is the Texas two-step? Yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, fun fact, I'm from Texas and I'm actually terrible at the Texas two-step. I do like, it's more of like a shuffle. I like shuffle around. The more sawdust on the floor, the easier I shuffle. And in some ways, what 3M did was more like my version of a shuffle. Because uh-huh. in a real Texas two-step, what you're going to do is you take your company and you're going to take two, make two steps. You're going to divide your company into like good company and bad company and then put the bad company in through the bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So we've seen come other companies do this route, split good co bad co, put bad company into bankruptcy. 3M didn't have to do that first step mm-hmm. because the earplugs were already within the subsidiary. Right. So they already had bad co mm-hmm. Bad company was already in there. They just had to take the second step, which is like the shuffle, which is, put them into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have this thing, a very common move, Texas two-step. This was more of a shuffle, but uh-huh. same end result. Like, I don't think it's a difference with any real significance. The end result was they went to bankruptcy and asked for what we call like these channeling injunctions. Like, mm-hmm. If you can imagine, like a, what they're asking for is a funnel. Mm-hmm. Make all, all the cases get funneled into the bankruptcy court. And this is where they lost. Right? Uh-huh. The court said, nope, just the ones against Arrow get funneled, but 3M, you still have to go to You're court. You're still on them. Yeah, go back down to Florida, keep defending yourself. Right. So that, that funneling thing, I think that takes us to the other big MDL case, the Johnson & Johnson talc litigation that's connected with something like 38,000 ovarian cancer and mesothelioma cases. Uh, that's kind of moving forward on the standard track. Is that right? Yeah. So they did a real Texas two step. Mm-hmm. They did the one, two, they created a bad co, a bad company. They put all the talc liabilities in the bad company mm-hmm. and then put the bad company into bankruptcy. And then we're able to get like the sort of the channeling injunction saying like, Oh, if you want talc recoveries, you got to go to bad company, the one in bankruptcy, mm-hmm. LTL, you have to go to them. You can't go after good company. Right. The maneuver makes a lot of sense when you have a company that is making a lot of money. Like 3M and Johnson & Johnson are really profitable. Mm -hmm. And you have part of it that's like dragging you down. And it's going to, it drags you down because you got a lot of damages. You also have a lot of time and effort hiring lawyers and defending yourself and the depositions and everything else. Just leave that behind pay the victims. You don't, you want to make sure that they're paid somewhat fairly. Mm-hmm. 
the difficult thing is like who decides, who gets to decide what the somewhat fairly is. The severed limb theory. Yeah. Um, so I see that the judge appointed Ken Feinberg, who uh, was working on the BP oil spill settlements, the 9-11 uh, victims as a mediator and se settlement master. Does that move help the victims more than it helps Johnson and Johnson? Um, you know, it seems like I mean, it's consistent with the spirit of it. I don't know who it's helping more, to be honest with you. I mean, really what we've, what you've done is by private law and really just by the corporate maneuverings of Johnson and Johnson have created a system that we're going to say is going to mirror the way that we've handled victims and other large scale tragedies mm -hmm. and brought someone in experience who can process the claims. Now, if you're, you know, you can argue that it's better for the victims because mm -hmm. you have someone experienced who knows how to assess claims, knows how to administer and has a reputation for fairness. You could argue too, that it helps Johnson and Johnson because it might help support their, what is ultimately a policy argument. One that the 3M judge doesn't want to touch mm -hmm. says for Congress, which is, is there a better way to handle mass torts than by having individual cases go to jury trials over, you know, all over the country? Right. Think of the judicial resources that costs. The lawyers scrape off a lot of that money for themselves. It doesn't always go to victims. Like you can make a policy argument that we're better off with some sort of like victims fund. Mm -hmm. It's just that they've created Johnson and Johnson created something that you might expect a government to create. It's just no government really spoke to that. Mm hmm. They decided to do that. So do either of these cases kind of affect MDL or bankruptcy cases long term? Is this changing bankruptcy law or multi-district litigation? So I'm of two minds on that. Like when I first read this, I thought maybe this is a big change mm -hmm. because you have seen these arguments that like Johnson and Johnson, that their route has really got a lot of publicity, negative publicity for bankruptcy law. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you hear the the fears that once, kind of like, you you brought this on, Catherine, with like invoking the Texas two-step analogy. So we'll go with the saying, you know, <laughs> you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Uh -huh. It could very well be that this bankruptcy game is working for a lot of people, but it went too far, mm -hmm. got too big, and then co got Congress's attention. And if we're not careful, we, the bankruptcy system, aren't careful, Congress is going to come in and and mess with our system. Mm -hmm. So it could be that what happened here is that this judge, you could view it as this judge saying, hey, let's call a timeout. Mm -hmm. Before Congress feels the need to intervene, let's show that we can actually dismiss some of these and like actually not give the corporate parent exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. Maybe that, so maybe that's a, a sea change. The other part of me looks at it and says, you know, asbestos, asbestosis, mesothelioma are significantly different than hearing loss, mm -hmm. not in the, I don't, I don't want to make a judgment as to the magnitude of the harm. I just mean that in the, the hearing loss is made manifest within a relatively short amount of time. You know that you've lost your hearing. Mm -hmm. Asbestos related illnesses can take 25 years to ever manifest. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine a, just a policy difference here. When you have a company with as possible asbestos liability, they don't know they're out of the woods for until 25 years after they exposed their employees or their consumers to the product. That's a long time to be in the zone of like possible liability. Mm -hmm. 
And so the idea of creating a fund mm-hmm. like Johnson and Johnson did and saying, look, we're going to have a fund here for you guys and you can start collecting from it now might make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, Johnson and Johnson will probably be here in 25 years when that, when someone come, it starts manifesting in someone, right. but they may not be. So let's have some money for them now. Mm-hmm. You could imagine that as a reason to kind of like squint your eyes, hold your nose and say, maybe bankruptcy allows this. Right. But in the 3M case, like you, you think terrible loss, but we kind of like get our arms around how big this is, like mm-hmm. how many people are affected and what are the damages. And for a company like 3M, like, I mean, they had nearly $10 billion in you know revenue in the first quarter of this year alone. You look at someone like that, you're like, eh, you know, it's going to hurt, but they could pay it. You get that sense. You're not going to take them into the ground. That's right. And so you you think maybe in these cases where we can actually get our arms around the mass tort, it's a mass tort, it's big, but we can get our arms around it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't want to let them do this sort of Texas two-step maneuver. Whereas when you get a company like Johnson & Johnson with a, this uncertain, very high and long-term liability, mm-hmm. maybe we'll allow something more like that Texas two-step. So it's hard for me to tell, like, do we see a change or we're just seeing a, two different reactions to two very different sort of problems? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything to add in closing? No, this will be really interesting to watch. I think it's gotten a lot of um, attention. You know, people, there's a, there's blueprints out there for how to do this, maybe not how to do this, uh, how not to do it, I mean, and, <laughs> and, and where to file. Some court systems seem more friendly to this than others, mm-hmm. all of which might end up brushing this under the rug. Like, look, this judge might have actually saved the system, or it might actually highlight some of the flaws people have pointed out in the bankruptcy system for a long time, such as your ability to file bankruptcy almost anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. That sort of forum shopping has been a hot topic for decades. Maybe we actually see more attention on that. So mm-hmm. I, I think the fallout from this is going to be interesting to watch. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks Bye. so much. Take care now. Thanks for joining us for this season of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Expanded Externship Program, which allows students to gain real-world experience at international and national corporations, government agencies, public interest organizations, and the judiciary. For more information, visit miami.law.edu.